Thanks. Morning, guys. Let's open our Bibles to Galatians chapter 2. We're going to focus in on just a, a few verses there. Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 15. While you're turning there, um, some of you know, if, if, you, if you talked to me for any length of time last night, uh, you may have learned, if you didn't already know, that I smoke a couple cigars every once in a while. And um, when I travel, the first thing I look for before hotels is cigar shops. I want to know where is the best place where I can grab a good cigar, where I can study, uh, read, hang out, meet guys. And so, I mean, literally, in all over the states, um, I've, I've been to different cigar shops. And what I have found in every cigar shop is um, I have found acceptance. Acceptance. Um, I don't look like most of the guys in the cigar shop, and most of the cigar shops go, uh, go into. Obviously, I'm way shorter than most of the grown-ups. Uh, but, you know, most of them, I mean, cigars are sort of a luxury item, I see you could say you could call it. And, um, you know, they're all middle class to upper middle class to affluent. And so I walk in, and I sit down, and within a couple of minutes, I find that I am accepted, that I have, with these men, good standing. Why? We don't have much in common, do we? They make money, some of them. Some of them don't. Some of them are just regular guys. Maybe I'm from out of town. Maybe I have a funny accent, or they have a funny accent. And yet they, they accept me. And the reason they accept me is not because they're altogether virtuous. It's because at some point in our interactions, they have deemed me worthy. Which they do with just about any other guy who isn't a total jerk that walks into the cigar shop. They will say, this guy is all right. We are accepted by them. We are received by them because in some way we have proven ourselves. There are guys that come into the cigar shop where I'm a member, and uh, I'm there just about every day, do a lot of my work there. And uh, you know, people come in, and we give everybody a chance to prove themselves. Now, it's not that they have to measure up to some bizarre standard. We basically just want them to prove that they're not total jerks, you know, that they're not going to come in and mess the place up and be rude. Um, but this is how things tend to work in the world. We gain good standing with others, by proving ourselves in one way or another. Whether you're entering uh, you know, onto a, a team, whether you are in a new group of friends or coworkers, new job, good standing is something that you earn. Now this is important as we're talking about the doctrine of justification because justification in this world is what we would call works-based. It is something that is based upon your performance, your abilities, is based on you in some way. And so when Galatians were getting into here, and, and this is one of those key passages that's going to press us again, and most of us, I assume, most of us to return to this doctrine that we sometimes take for granted. Galatians chapter 1, verse 15 says, We ourselves, I'm sorry, it's chapter 2, verse 15, if I said that wrong. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith 
in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law no one will be justified. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, would you help us today to see the beauty of your word, the truthfulness of your holy scripture, the power that is in what you have breathed out for us to feast upon today. We're asking, God, that you would overcome our doubts, that you would convict us of our sins, that you would lead us in the path of righteousness, and that you would strengthen our faith, and that our love for Jesus would swell. God, would you be at work on all of us in Jesus' name. Amen. And so Paul ends this, is this paragraph here, this little paragraph in the book of Galatians, and we're just going to jump right into it because you, you assign the topic of justification at a men's retreat, which is so common. Every, every men's retreat, they want to preach on justification. So, uh, all the good ones, anyways. So, uh, I'm going to jump right in. I'm not going to give a lot of background. I just want you to uh, follow with me Paul's line of thinking here. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 15, Paul is essentially making three simple points here, okay? He's assuming here, that part, it's one of the points is kind of assumed, right, that we need to be justified. And we're just kind of summarizing justification as good standing. I'm, I'll give you a proper definition a little bit later. But let's just think of justification with God as good standing with God. That's, the essentially, that's essentially what it means. Now, he's assuming that we need to be in good standing with God here. And that it must be obtained somehow. It's one of the things that he's assuming and pressing. Secondly, he's very clear, our good standing with God cannot be obtained by works or by our obedience to the law. Paul's very clear about this. And then the third thing, couldn't be any more clear, Paul makes it plain, our good standing with God, our justification, is only obtained through faith in Jesus Christ. Basic stuff, right? Basic for us who have been in the church for some time and are kind of familiar with the lingo. But when you start breaking this down for people who are not in the church and have not really heard the gospel, it becomes a big mess. And our inability to communicate the gospel, to communicate the doctrine of justification clearly to those who do not know the faith, demonstrates that we don't really understand it ourselves. If you can't help but constantly use the, the religious jargon, which is very important, our religious terminology, if you have to use it without any explanation to the people that you're trying to share Jesus with, you are failing. You can't communicate with them that way. You've got to break it down. So, let's walk through this together. I want this to be plain. I want this to be simple, because only then... Can we see what it should be doing in each of us here this morning? First of all, justification is needed, right? We need to be in good standing with God. Now, why do we need to be in good standing with God? Well, in short, because God is God. He is the maker of all that is and ever will be. He is the authority over all that is and never will be. And as men and women made in God's image, we are accountable to him who made us. We belong to him. He owns us. We were created to know him and to enjoy him and to reflect his goodness and glory in all things. Whether or not we are in good standing with God is imperative because you are related to God in one way or another. You will interact with God, ultimately, in one way or another. 
you will find yourself under his condemnation. For your sins are under his hand of blessing, under his hand of covering, under his hand of protection and deliverance. We need this good standing, and we need this good standing, and we all kind of know this part, right? We need this good standing with God because we are sinners. We are not like God. We are corrupt. We are wayward. We are not just broken, which is popular to say today. Uh, my friend Drew Dick just wrote an article on starting a church called the Church of Brokenness, or maybe just call it Broken, so it sounds cool. And uh, the Church of Broken would focus all on how we're broken and missing out and incomplete, but we're not going to talk about sin and rebellion and damnation. It's a little too on the nose. We are broken, but we are not just broken. We are rebels, sinners, who are justly condemned. In Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18, you guys are familiar with this passage, a lot of you are anyways. And in this passage, Paul is pulling from the Psalms in the Old Testament, and he and he says that there is no one who is righteous. There isn't one who seeks after God. And he says that all together, all, and he's talking about all of humanity, have become, the word is, useless. We are sinners justly condemned. We are not the children of God by nature, but Ephesians 2, 1 and following tells us that we are by nature the children of wrath. We are the damned, the children of the damned. That's who we are naturally. And if we begin to put the pieces together, we understand that we have broken God's will and God's ways. We don't need the Bible to tell us that we do this. We know that we do it. It's a, we instinctively know it. We do wrong things. We feel bad for many of the things that we do, but we don't stop doing them. We've gone against God. We've gone against His will. We have denied Him His place of rule and preeminence in our lives. We need good standing with God because we do not currently have it. We are the objects of His judgment. And justification is not something that we are entitled to. Right? It's not something that we just get because. I know that a lot of us tend to think, like, well, I should just have this. I should just get this. Uh, we talk about how the younger generations feel about it. But I don't really think it's, it's a millennial problem. I think it's, it's been going on for quite a while. And it seems to be bleeding into other generations. There's this entitlement culture that we, we, send, we tend to embrace because why not? I mean, yeah. I should get what I want. I should have access to it because I'm here and that's enough. You're not entitled to good standing with God. Good standing with God does have to be earned. Make no mistake about it. Good standing with God does have to be earned. But you can't earn it. You can't build it. You can't create it. You can't accomplish this. Someone else has to do it. It's not God's job to forgive you. It's not God's job to just... I mean, a lot of people think, like, well, I'm, I said that's my job, and God's job is to forgive. God's job is to accept me. It doesn't work that way. He's, he's, he's not your grandpa, right, who's just going to love you no matter how much of a tool you are, who's going to give you allowance or help give you money for mowing his lawn, even though I know how crappy a job you do, because he just loves you so much. It's not God's job to forgive you. It's not God's job to accept you. It's God's job to be God. And he does not overlook 
the guilty. So, Paul's making this point here that justification is needed, good standing is needed, and that this good standing that we have to have with God, it cannot be obtained by our efforts, by our works. That's the word that he uses. And this is weird. We've talked about this already because that's how the world works. How, how do I gain any good standing at all with anyone or in any situation by effort, by merit, by the principle of reward? We believe in and embrace ideas of karma. You reap what you sow. Judgment. Consequences. That's how it works. If we want to move forward and gain, then we go and get it. But it can't be purchased. This, not this. This is too expensive. The, 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 the marks are too high, right? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It sounds like, oh, you just missed it. You just fell short, right? Like, uh, like when the kicker misses the field goal and you're like, I can't believe he just, he just missed it. It was so close. It, that's not what it means when it says that we have fallen short of God's glory. All have sinned. That is, we have died. And we have fallen. And we are nowhere near. We are short of God's glory, meaning we lack it. We don't have it. Justification cannot be achieved by works, Paul says. And the way Paul proves this is, is he's been saying, listen, we ourselves are Jews by birth. We're, Jew like, we're really Jewish by birth. We didn't come into this party late. Like, oh, I'm going to be circumcised now as an adult. Like, no, we were born Jews. I'm a real Jew. Pharisee, circumcised, eighth day, whole thing. And even I know that I cannot have good standing with God based on my pedigree or my performance. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. So he's comparing himself. Like, listen, we are the good guys, right? We are the ones that have received the, the law and the promises and the covenants. We are not Gentile sinners, and yet we know that a person, no matter who that person is, no matter what their privilege is, no matter what their background is, that no person is justified by works of the law. We are only justified, good standing, through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus. Think about this from a Jewish perspective. Listen, we've been waiting for the Messiah. We have, we have the law of God. We have the writings. We have the prophets. We're waiting for Messiah, Mashiach, and he's here. It's Jesus, and we have believed in him because we recognize our need to be justified before God. This is... This is difficult. Paul understands this is, this is what Paul is talking about in Romans chapters 1 and 2 and 3. If you read those chapters, you see Paul is building this argument that we are all damned. That's his point. We are all in trouble. We have all sinned. We are all condemned for what we've done. And so he talks about the heathen, the pagan, who has who not believed the gospel, and they're worshiping false gods overtly. And then he talks about moral men and people that seem to do what's right, and then they judge others for not measuring up. But then he talks about the, the Jewish people and how they think that they have somehow gotten away from God's judgment simply because they are Jewish. And Paul's making the point, no, all of us are guilty before God, and we don't earn good standing. We don't have it. We don't inherit it. It must be granted to us. The only earning, earning potential that you have, and you have a lot of earning potential, is to earn your way into hell. That's all. That's it. 
That's what, that's what justice and fairness and merit gets us on our end. The judgment of God, right? The wages of sin is death in Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. That's what you earn. That's what you get. If you want the scales to be balanced perfectly based on your performance, that's the end. We need justification. It is not obtained by works. It only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. But through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in order to be justified by faith. By faith. Now, what is justification? We've been saying it's good standing. Technically, if you're talking about justification, there are, there are two aspects to it. So yes, it is a good standing with God made up of two things. Number one, the forgiveness of our sins. And number two, the imputation of Christ's righteousness. What this essentially means is, is that when God justifies a person and grants us good standing with himself, he is saying, your sins are not going to count against you anymore. I'm going to forgive you for all of your rebellion, past, present, and even future future, the sins that you will commit, I forgive them. I will not hold them against you. They have earned your damnation, but I'm going to withhold that from you. And not only that, but I'm also then going to give you something that you don't have. So I'm going to take away something that you deserve, condemnation for your sins. I'm going to take away that, forgiven, and now I'm going to give you what you lack, and what you lack is righteousness. Remember how you fall short of God's glory? Now you're going to measure up. I'm going to declare you to be perfectly holy in my sight by giving you the gift of Jesus' righteousness. Guys, this is, this is at least one of the most important doctrines in our faith, if not the cardinal doctrine. You have to know what justification is. And as a man, as a leader, as husbands, as fathers... It is your responsibility to know that there are two parts to justification. It's not hard to remember. It's just hard to remember. You know what I'm saying? Like you can remember, it's the forgiveness of sin and the gift of Christ's righteousness. You can remember that definition, but you can forget its truth and its reality. So I expect you, as my new friends, to be able to rattle off for me anytime I ask you or your pastors ask you, What's justification? You could say oh, it's good standing with God based on the forgiveness of our sins and the gift of Christ's righteousness, which now makes me righteous in the sight of God. It's good. But we want to take that farther so that we're experiencing and, and responding to this doctrine. Now, the idea of forgiveness is, is clear in Scripture. I mean, forgiveness as the, as the message of salvation is all throughout Acts. In fact, whenever they're preaching the gospel to anybody, they don't talk about imputed righteousness. Right? It's, it's, it's a big concept. It's a heavy concept. In Acts, when they're preaching the gospel, they dial in on the easy part to grasp and understand of the gospel and of justification. That is the forgiveness of sins. So that's what he dials in on. That's what Jesus dials in on. So evangelistically, it makes sense to hit that really hard because the one thing that should be that the, at the, at the, just underneath the service for most people is that we are guilty. We have done wrong. And there needs to be some kind of remedy for that. So we see forgiveness all the way throughout Scripture, or even Romans 5.1, just saying there's no condemnation for us, implies that there is forgiveness. But this idea of righteousness, that in God justifying us, He is accounting us as righteous. He is giving us the righteousness of His Son. Right? So think about it this way. In every area of your life, you have blown it. 
You have not honored the Lord. You have not prayed well. You have not loved well. You have not served well. You have dishonored God. You have loved yourself more than you have loved others. So if the big commands are to love God and love others as yourself, you screwed that up. Just like me. But Jesus has perfectly fulfilled those laws. He has perfectly loved the Father, submitted himself to the Father's will, and he has perfectly loved others. He never failed or misstepped at one point. And all of what he has done is given to you. It's a great exchange. Jesus takes your sin and your judgment and your condemnation and dies on the cross to free you from all of that, and then he gives you his perfect righteousness. That's the exchange. We see this in passages like Philippians chapter 3. Paul here is talking about his past, how he was a big dog as it came to being the, the Jewish leader who had high marks and morality and achievements. And he, he says this, in verse 7, whatever gain I had, and he's speaking about the gain of being so worthy of respect, the, the earning, right, the, the, the measuring up. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ... This is what he wants, right? Gain Christ and be found in him, united to him. I want to be found in Jesus, not having the righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul says, I don't want, any, I don't want my own righteousness because it's terrible. It, it's weak. It's frail. It's fragile. It's a facade. It's, it, it, it doesn't measure up. It can't. What I want is the righteousness of Jesus that is given to me by God upon believing. This is the blessing of salvation. That God would give us good standing. How can you have, have good standing with a holy God if you are not holy? He has to make us holy. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. We have another verse. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Right? God the Father made Jesus to be sin, he, although he knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. That's the great exchange. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. This is justification. And if we don't get this, we really don't get the gospel. You can get part of it. There's other aspects to it. But if you don't get this, then you are confused. Yeah. Now, why do we need this? Why do we need this? Aren't we already Christians? Well, yeah, maybe. Maybe we are. The reality is, is we need this because this is salvation. This is our redemption that God would tell a people who are not his people, now you're my people. That he would grant us good standing, and the only way that this happens is through Christ, not by our works, 
And this is the reason we need this, the reason this is important is because even if you are a Christian and you believe in Jesus and you know that you are a sinner and you come to Jesus empty-handed and you've been saved from wrath and you've been given eternal life, even then you will still drift back to that works-based crap. You will go back to this idea that, that you're standing before God and your acceptance and His love for you is somehow based on your knowledge. That's like popular, in, in, especially in my circles. Because we're like Reformed Baptists. We get it tattooed on our hands. We think we're cool. You know, we're like, we've got we, we've to we've like know it and know it in its detail and its parts. And it's, we tend to drift and we, we, we don't say it, we don't articulate it, but we do believe in our hearts in some ways at different times that I am justified. I have good standing with God because my knowledge is on point. You're not saved by your knowledge. You're saved by Christ, and you receive that salvation by faith. Knowledge is only one part of faith. Some people drift into morality, and they, and they think that, that their good standing with God is based on how purely they live their lives, or that they abstain from certain things, and they, 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 they're very disciplined, and these are good things. We ought to be careful with how we live. But your morality does not give you good standing with God, and it certainly does not maintain good standing with God. The truth is, your morality is, is only so deep. You know what I mean? You could probably touch the bottom with your toes, you know? You're not swimming in the deep waters of morality. You, you're in the kiddie pool. <laughs> we think, like, no, it's... If some of you, like, if you were converted later in life, some of you... You, you look at your transformation that you've experienced, which is entirely a work of God's grace. That ain't you, and you know it ain't you. It's God's grace. But you look to your transformation, and that's sort of your assurance. Look at how bad I was. Look at how messed up I was. And now look at how good I am now. You see the change, you see the difference, and we think like that, wow, I have good standing with God because I am now different externally. You know what all this is? It's just comparison. That's all that it is. It's just comparison. You're comparing yourself to other people in such a way that you measure up better. That's all that it is. We tend to drift into comparison. This is why we need the doctrine of justification to be drilled down deep into our hearts. This is why we do need it tattooed on our hands. right? So that we will not forget what it is that defines us. You know what justification, justification doesn't just, the doctrine of justification is not just an explanation of how you have good standing with God. It's not just an explanation. Justification itself is your salvation, that God forgives and accounts you righteous, and in doing that, it calls you to do certain things. It calls for a response from you. Because of God's justifying grace, He is calling you to Believe. That's one thing he's calling you to do. Every single person here, believe in Christ. Trust in Christ. Part of denying yourself and following Christ, right, part of denying yourself is rejecting the self-directed, self-determined life and trusting entirely, completely in who Jesus is and what he offers. It calls us to believe. Justification calls us to believe, not just once in the past, but today. And believe me, I have to believe today. If I am not believing today, then I am what? Unbelieving, drifting, wandering, straight.
struggling, failing, falling. And it's easy. It calls us to believe. The doctrine of justification also calls us to worship. You guys can sing in here. And it's not because you're talented. You're not. You guys can sing in here. I believe you guys can sing in here because you have tasted the goodness of God. What backs your, your vocal cords is the sweetness of the gospel savored. I think, I think you guys believe. I think many of you guys believe. I don't know you all, but I think that's what gives your voice power here. And when we understand the doctrine of justification, it should lead to worship because what are we doing in worship but singing the praises of another? We're not singing our praises. We're not rejoicing in ourselves or in our power. I mean, some churches do, but that's just whack. What we're really singing about, what we're praising God for is all that he is and all that he has done and all that he will do. We're, we're exulting in his promises and we're proclaiming his excellencies. Worship is radically other-oriented. It's not about us. So we... Praise God and worship Him because of our justification. This, this unilateral act where God declares us to be forgiven and makes us righteous. It also calls us to fight. Justification calls us to fight specifically, specifically with the attacks from the world or our flesh and most often I believe the devil because the devil will accuse you in a variety of ways, oftentimes uniquely suited for who you are, so that you will question your hope in Jesus, so that you will lose your footing on the gospel. The devil will want you to think that you do not have an interest in Christ, that you have not been forgiven, so that you will despair and walk away, so that you will fail. He has so many schemes, and there are so he's so good at what he does. But this one area of attacking your assurance before the face of God is one of his preferred strategies. Martin Luther talked a lot about this. Martin Luther would say, Martin Luther had a lot of problems with the devil. He says, like, uh, I'm summarizing here because he swears a lot. Uh, but Luther says things like, uh, when the devil appears, I just fart at him and make him go away. <laughs> Uh, famous stories of Luther throwing an ink bottle at a manifestation of the devil. Truth is, uh, Luther may have been a little unstable, but Luther was also dialed into the heart issue of the gospel. And because of this, and because of his influence, he was greatly attacked by the devil. And so what, what Luther heard throughout his ministry was the devil whispering in his ear, essentially, listen, you don't deserve God's love. Look at you. You're a wreck. You're a train wreck. You're, you're so unrighteous. I mean, you, you, you could never stand before God. You are, and what Luther learned to say was, I, devil, I agree 100%. I'm not worthy of God's love. I'm not worthy of God's grace. That's why it's called grace. Uh, that's what makes the gospel beautiful, is that God loves me in my ugliness. While I was a sinner, Christ died for me. We have to be able to own our own corruption in order to later own God's grace. You will never see and appreciate and rest in the goodness and savor of God in Jesus until you own your own condemnation and guilt. You can't be found until you first know that you are lost, right? So it calls us to fight the devil. And we don't fight the devil in our own strength. We don't fight the devil by, by, uh, by, by manning up and taking on the devil. We resist the devil. We submit to God 
and the devil flees. I hate the devil. I feel like the devil has been after me my whole life. I was a Satanist for years before I became a Christian, and I've never felt a moment of oppression uh, from the devil since my conversion, though I have seen horrible things. Since my conversion, I have never felt oppressed by the devil, but I have often felt his presence. And I do sense that whether it is him or one of his little demon nerds, I don't know. Uh, he's probably got bigger uh, people to work with than me. But the devil, either himself or by proxy, is tempting each of us, whispering in our ears, trying to get us to lose our confidence and our hope. And we fight him with the gospel. You've got nothing on me. I'm not afraid. Now, if I was on my own, I'd be afraid because the devil's tougher and smarter than me. But Christ, who is in me, is greater than the one who is in the world. Now, two more. Number six, the gospel calls us to obey. Justification calls us to obey. Don't mistake that. There is all these gospel light weirdos who want to downplay obedience and, and godliness as if it ain't no thing, as if it does, there's no will. We can't be holy, so why, why should we be holy? We can't be holy. To be, to be holy is to be perfect. We can't be perfect, so what's the point? The only point of the commands to obey is just so that we realize we can't do it. All oh, this is nonsense, right? The Greek word for that is hooey. We are called to holiness. We are called to godliness in this life. In fact, look at how Paul talks about it here in this paragraph, right? He says in verses 15 through 16, Now listen, we're Jews and we know that we ain't good enough. We have to believe in Christ in order to be justified. Verse 17, But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. He's bouncing these two things here. My righteousness before God is not based on law. It's based upon Christ. He gives me his righteousness. I, I'm accepted by God by grace. I receive it through faith. And yet what happens? The moment that we are transformed, right, regenerated, faith, conversion, justification, all of this happens, we have this heart that now longs for God. And since we know that there is now no condemnation for us, because we have received Christ's righteousness, our good works are now perfected in the eyes of God and made perfectly acceptable. While you will fail in your best attempts to do what is right, God will accept what you do in Christ. And he calls you to do. This is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. It's pretty clear, right? Stop doing that. But it's not just stop it. It's not just don't do that thing. The will of God is your sanctification. The progress of being made holy. The work of the Holy Spirit in transforming your inner man, which our brother's going to preach about next. God calls us to obey, and he does so even in the gospel, not to earn our position with him, not to, not to prove ourselves, not to gain a good standing, but to enjoy our good standing 
Seventh, last, justification calls us to tell. Calls us to tell other people. We are the only ones that have a message of grace. Because our message is not clean up your, clean up your act. Our message is not stop doing bad things. Our message is not be the best person you can be. Now there is a command of God in all of this that tells us to repent of our sins, to follow Jesus. But our fundamental message here in all of this is not for people to do better in order to gain God's ear or to earn God's nod. Our message is that God forgives the guilty. Not only forgives, but then perfects. You're not a criminal who just gets off uh, and gets away. You are a criminal who is restored in reputation, in position. You are made righteous. And this by grace. You don't borrow for it. You don't pay for it. You don't work for it. You simply receive it. Faith, right? We're justified by faith. Faith is the open hand that accepts salvation. That's all that it is. And so we're called to tell. We can tell people about this because our message is one of free, free gospel, free salvation, free life. It is truly free. They don't have to jump through hoops. They don't have to run through sacraments. In justification, bottom line, in justification, you find God. And in justification, you find yourself. And until you get justification, you will not get God, nor will you understand who you are. You can't. You won't understand either because you won't see your sin properly. Only the person who has come to the place where they have seen their sin for what it is and seen Jesus for who he really is, that's the one who is justified. That's the one who has a proper sense of reality. In justification, you see your sin, you see your Savior. And He is your salvation. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we need the repeated gospel message of justification. I need it every day. God, I'm tempted to sometimes justify myself by what I know or what I do or who accepts me. God, we're all tempted to justify ourselves through these small and pathetic worldly things. Would you forgive us for such unbelief? And would you, by your Spirit, lead us back to your Son so that our great hope, our only hope is in him, in his blood and in his righteousness, which cleanses us and makes us new. God, would you work in each of our hearts in such a way, God, that we would be overwhelmed with grace so that we become men who are not just bold but humbled, men who are not just willing to lead but who are willing to lead through serving. God, would you make us husbands and fathers who are characterized by the grace of of you as Father, by the love and compassion of your Son, and by the seeking ministry of your Spirit. In Jesus' name.